Welcome back to another episode of the Equity Matters Podcast. This is your gracious host, Addis JB3. And what's on my mind right now is the connection between the episode with Deja Rollins around performative allyship and the episode that we're about to get into. Now, everyone, everyone, it seems, made some form of public declaration, uh, some type of statement, some type of public commitment to diversity, equity, and inclusion in the year of 2020. And it's unclear because no one's taken the time to evaluate it, how many people were accountable to the things that they said. This week on the pod, we're going to talk to my guy, Uh, Dr. Herman Pryor, who is an organizational effectiveness consultant, a self-equity coach, someone who gets in the room with managers and leaders who, once they make these statements, they they have to show and prove. It's far too common that entities will make these statements, broad, sweeping generalizations, and that's it. And that's always... One of my fears um, in doing diversity, equity, inclusion work, even as a consultant, that I've come in here and I've gotten people really excited or I've done quite the opposite. I've pissed people off and they created this really important plan that goes to to sit on a shelf. It's unfortunate, but it's common because there's often a lack of resources tied to the work. People think DEI is free, and it's not. Like, oh, we're just going to be better people. Unfortunately, that's not sufficient. With that being said, I'm excited to introduce you all to Dr. Herman Pryor. James, first and foremost, uh, thank you um, for having me. I can't even begin to give the array of kudos and appreciation that I have for someone willing to pace this process out, kind of go the distance and lifting his voice. Society and the, the world has had to deal with over the past year when it comes down to restructuring, uh, whether it's companies, whether it's um, positions, whether it's literally families outcomes based on their income, you know, um, it is timely. And so I just want to honor you in that moment by saying thanks again for having me. And I appreciate the deep dive into this conversation. No doubt, Um, no doubt. So just an introduction to myself. um, I don't really get into a lot of spiels about things. We'd be here all day, man, just because it's it's that intertwined of just just enough randomness with intent. (laughs) (laughs) But from a background perspective, I think um, I, I would say that I've been in the the equity space, more particularly around the self-equity space, um, really grooming my personal experience to marry a process of um, intent to help support and provide resources for others, that's individuals and organizations alike, to really get into the space um, of of learning how to, from a very base approach, kind of level up, you know, and strategize to understanding the process to that. You know, my background, I, I used to be a therapist for a number of years. Um, and I evolved that work into coaching work that got, in, got me into a lot of individual 
individual like coaching and uh, career development and organizational development work throughout the Washington DC area where I was supporting a lot of local and federal government contracts. And I just saw a need to kind of shift from therapy to be more intentional about the type of support I wanted to provide. Because again, even, you know, I've been at this one a little over a decade now. And even back then coming out of grad school, you know, it was easy to be a therapist, not easy in terms of becoming one, but it, that was a, a place that existed, if that makes sense. And so I was interested in the work that was unspoken, you know, not just uh, issues or structural problems or people problems, but some of the why to that and trying to attach myself with spaces that were open to digging a little deeper, even if it was unconventional. So I've been at that for a little over a decade now and, and having a blast, honestly. And um, there's always an, a, a day that is unknown to me. And I think that's what I still love about the work because you know, going from individual to organizational and chasing this macro global push for more conversations and more intent in terms of restructuring and developing, you know, the galaxy is our playground, I feel. Now you're, you're speaking my language. Um, so I'm really excited to dive into today's episode. Just a little bit of background and context. Um, where do you call home? I'm originally from Charleston, South Carolina. Um, okay. I've been in the Washington DC area since about 2007. There was a, a period of time where I think I was a little unruly in high school and my mom sent me to live with my dad. We were in uh, Isle of Palms. Ah, okay. No young black boy from Detroit should be in Island Palms um, unsupervised. I'll just put it that way. <laughs> I get it. You don't have, you don't have to go there. All right. <laughs> um, so let's talk about DEI. Uh, what exactly does that mean for leadership? I mean, thinking about any organization, what kind of perspective should they take? Well, I, I definitely came into DEI a little bit unconventional. So in supporting some recent contracts where I've worked with organizations to help stand up these, these type of committees, I took an approach of a, a human experience in terms of bringing in that part of the conversation to it based on a lot of things that were happening you know, globally, you know, whether it was just um, the cultural shift around just the racism piece or the police brutality piece or just having a conversation about white and black at work that we know typically does not happen comfortably. Um, room became open to help this particular organization just get into processes on how to do that. So it was less about structuring, like we have to do everything right or we need to know all the facts and more so about connecting people, which was a strong suit of mine. <laughs> so I, 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 I jumped at the opportunity, but I think in discovering where people were, which is, being aware and accepting everything that's going on around as, oh, this impacts me as well. Translating that into the workplace, you know, again, we're in the midst of a pandemic, so work looks different. You have remote workers that most everyone, if you weren't one, you became one. And so no one's at the office. So the cues and everything change and you're already trying to figure out how to meet quotas and demands based on just a schema. Now you have to do that where we're all working off of tonality, uh, perception, <laughs> and still trying to be cult culturally sensitive to the internal and external forces that still makes this work purposeful. And so one of the things that came, came to my mind or I offered was to really 
get away from the top-down approach of like doing mandates of significance because that's insensitive, but more so focus on asking questions. So getting back to some rudimentary things on asking questions, checking in on people's feelings and going there based on some of the dialogues that must happen so that you can really embed yourself in this transparency that everyone speaks of, but we know sometimes doesn't exist. You'd be surprised how much you can accomplish when you ask the right questions. <laughs> I'm telling you, man. It's, uh, it's, but the climate is just right, right? The climate is right now because we can't hide from things anymore. Like the beautiful thing that I say about the pandemic amidst all of the terrible things that happened in terms of people's lives and just the cultural global shift, we found a sense of rest, or as I like to rephrase the word, reset, because the stop happened. Whether you were prepared for it, whether you were your infrastructure was intact for it, or you even had a thought about what would happen if this were to happen to you. You know, regardless if you're a leader or you're line worker staff, it doesn't matter. Everyone was brought to the same playing field, which made it a little different to continue to do business as usual, you know? And well, if you want your business to survive, <laughs> let me say that. You can't play ball the same way because people are in their feelings. Everyone is in their feelings. So you can't take feelings out of it anymore because now I'm impacted. My family's impacted. My mindset is, is impacted. My, my mental health, my well-being, everything literally is going on a day-to-day -day autopilot based on the start of it and whatever the outcome might be. So we have to, we've gotten an opportunity now to get in bed with some of these things. And we've seen it like right across the board. Some companies are, they've gone in head first. You know, we are going to own all of the calamities and try to do something about it, which is very noteworthy. But there are still some that they need these type of conversations that we're having right now to kind of say, are you willing to look at your landscape? Really? Are you willing to dig deep and ask your employees the questions that they are already walking around feeling the sentiments anyway? Um, and that's on both sides of the spectrum, whether it's a minority employee, whether it's majority employee, um, whether you are looking at diversity in terms of not just race, but you know, male to female ratio, sexual orientation, or do you have your melting pot intact to survive? I think that's where we are now. And this is the start of the dialogue, which is a beautiful thing because it's been so taboo for so long. So let's get into some of your strategies and approaches, right? So <clears throat> diversity, equity, inclusion is always the same, at least the, the overarching goals may be the same. How does this differ when you're working with public versus private institutions? Oh, very, very different. Private tends to yield to flexibility, primarily because that's pretty much how they started their business, right? <laughs> Going off the edge, um, trying it out, you know, if it fails, recalibrate, start again. Funding is different that way as well. You know, you might have more of it cushion or an incubator of resources to be able to do it right and invest in that. Public, you're going to have a little bit more red tape. If I'm honest, you're going to have a few more boundaries and the funding is allocated, usually years in advance. So it's a little harder to take effort in putting in mm, this season of trainings that are definitely probably needed for all of your employees because you can't afford it. And having to stretch that reality and tell your teams um, whatever to keep them at bay um, or increase incentives another way to do so when you are 
really forcing a bigger detriment, you know? So that's usually the biggest, you know, delineation between public and private, more resources, less resources, and the amount of time that entity takes to address and approach those much needed spaces where conversation should be happening. And I know for uh, many groups, they're really interested in this idea of ROI, right? So return on investment, how do you convey DEI as something that has return on investment? I, I'm a straight shooter, James. <laughs> Usually <laughs> when I'm working with a client, you know, it's, um, you know, it's my fortitude to operate in that capacity so that they understand how serious of an issue this is. You know, when you say something or you, or if you throw a buzz phrase around like the uh, well, ROI, for example, that says to me personally that you understand what, it's, what it takes. And that says, loosely translated, whether you said it or not, that you are willing to go the distance to ensure that we do what it takes. Now, we know that that's usually not on the other side of that intent. It's, it's usually a good buzz phrase, a good buzzword, but I'm an individual that I operate in practicing what I preach, you know, and when I'm working with an organization, it's the same philosophy for me because I, I go back to trying to express the fact that buy-in is not something that you can sell. Buy-in is something that is experienced. And if you actually adopt that in your maturation process, even if you're developing individuals or teams, organizations to get to that ROI, then you're already so far ahead of the curve. Instead of actually, if you've been operating on that buzzword for a decade or so and you haven't really delivered or you're okay with, let's say, turnover because it's a great company, Airmarks, of producing and you know getting people to the top quickly, you set yourself up for failure, you know, because ROI has to be experienced. It can't be something that is adopted for the moment. And I think that's the muddy waters that we're in right now because the paradigm shifted where, you know, as an organization, you have to deliver. More importantly, because this is a human thing everyone is experiencing at the same time. I think in many cases, my experience has always been that folks want to quantify DEI mm -hmm. in a way where it's like, well, what, what am I getting back as far as dollar value? And I always push back on that notion because the moment that you start to diversify your hiring pool or the moment that you bring in more diverse talent, you can't necessarily quantify that, but the opportunities that come from that, it's like, it's like investing in the stock market. It pays dividends over time. Right. And I never knew how or why organizations wanted to go back to that quantifiable model. I, I mean, it's simple. If you think about it, like, what's the easiest way to get by? And, and, and oh, I, I, the word I use is believability, right? <laughs> you know, I'm a researcher, so I'm looking at, I'm following the numbers, right? But that's the good old boy system. You know, that's not flying anymore because when people, people have gotten smarter, right? You've got a lot of time in your hand due to this pandemic, which means that you're working from home. You got way more time to get on Google now and actually look up companies, right? You can look up their diversity on their boards, uh, across their leadership. And regardless of what the numbers report, there's a disconnect. And so people aren't so easily just to accept stats. You know, that's why I was, as soon as you started talking, I was just kind of like, well, you can't quantify it because again, it's an experience. I need to see 
what that looks like so that I can feel like you get it. Point blank. Point blank, period. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I, I want to just share a quick story. Um, I think I was I was walking by my wife's office, aka our bedroom, because you know everybody's working from home. <laughs> and I I overheard overheard someone saying, you know, we need to wait until our diversity person comes on board. And there was just like this automatic irritation that I had because why would you not be able to articulate diversity like throughout the organization? Like you, you have to wait for this diversity person to come on board, whatever that role is. I'm glad that role exists now, but at the same time, I find myself getting agitated at the notion that one person is gonna transform the culture of an organization or one person is gonna be responsible for knowing all of the DEI things. And so I wanna ask you, what roles need to understand DEI? So that's a really good point you made because it is a boiler, you know, the phrase grind my gears. Mm. You know, it is, it, is a, it is a boiling point for me sometimes because when I talk about organizational equity and, and I'm in a supporting role to try to help strategize, you know, the ups and downs, lefts and right, or the rights and wrongs, you know, I go back to some of those foundational questions. This is exactly what you're asking. You know, what have you been doing? You know, how have you done this before? And what has been your intent and motive prior to onboarding? Like, what was your purposeful nature of onboarding in your organization? So a lot of times when people are interviewing for jobs, you know, they get asked, you know, what value would you bring on your first day or what, you know, what, what's your why even sometimes? And, you know, I've taught people, you know, as in my career development strategist background, of asking organizations that same question, you know, putting them on the spot, because again, they should be able to answer that question as well. And if they can't, you know, raise an eyebrow, because if people are just hiring to fill positions, that's one thing, tell me that. <laughs> you know, if you're hiring for intent and purpose and, and actually taking this philosophy at, to a macro or higher level, then that's different. You should be able to articulate that the same to me. Getting back to your question at hand, you know, who should be the individual responsible for making some, making sure some of those things are happening? Definitely the, the person in charge, CEO, president, whoever is at the helm, because if that individual is not locked in or bought into whatever the core values are that's stated on the website or whatever messaging that they're pumping out, then the company is at a loss. I don't care how you slice that because you have to then tell me who's taking directives from what leadership. And what are we doing at the end of the day and why? Again, if it's to make money and to do business, then I think if company move, companies move towards stating that, you can get the type of person that you're looking for. And maybe diversity, you don't have to sing that song, but you can't play, you can't play in the, in the barnyard with the other animals by just saying you're gonna call yourself an animal, you know, because everyone has their role. So that leader, that CEO, that person, HR, definitely, because again, if that leader is inept and can't translate the language to a team to motivate and empower and really showcase that example and what diversity looks like, then that human resources person, they're not responsible for it, but they should be able to actually fill in the gaps because they are bringing some experiences on board um, in terms of being able to navigate, you know, they are basically subject matter expert in the company to navigate comfortability around the topic. Even if they don't get into the weeds, you know, they should be a good buffer. Then I will go to the executive team because again, these are the people 
you know, if that company has an executive team, these are the individuals that are being reported to. You know, I go back to the fluidity of the exchange. If you have an expectation of me, I'm expecting to keep you accountable for the exchange of showing me what that looks like in motion so that I can continue to aspire, hopefully, to be where you are one day. But a lot of times we know that work for most sometimes is the job. And if there are aspirations, depending on your cultural, your culture, your nature of the organization, that might be non-existence, or you might have to really become Houdini to work it out in your favor. And sometimes that's very uncomfortable depending on who you are. You know, again, if you're a minority and or majority, because you don't first see the exampling of it, which means you don't have a pathway. And two, you have to start really deciding and navigating maybe even outside of the terrain because you're not getting what you need there in terms of being fed. So that, that, that top-down process, I always advise organizations and teams in those organizations to hold those individuals accountable, not necessarily for knowing all there is to know about how to do this, but being willing to start the conversation and start implementing things that can take you closer to what that goal could look like. No, I totally agree. I, I think the struggle I've always had is there, there shouldn't be just one person responsible, right? Like we, we all should be able to articulate our vision for DEI or what DEI means to the organization. And it really shouldn't fall on, on one person. Like I'm not expecting everybody to be experts, but be able to at least at minimal, be able to mention how we as an organization are doing things to advance equity or to make sure our staff feel included. I mean, yeah. that's like bare minimal. Minimum, minimum. And take advantage of the times we're in right now, right? Because yeah, you have leadership and you have people that are in positions, et cetera, but you still have people within your organization that regardless of their position that have backgrounds. Or and or present experiences that they're currently going through that can lend a voice to what's happening. You know, I I'm, I was working with an organization that I helped set up this DEIC committee, and you know they they were a little behind the times with really having a lot of these conversations. I mean, their whole structure for years have been built on meeting metrics and the revolving door. And getting into this new space right after George Floyd happened, you know, there was an immediacy to not mull over on this because you can't, your, 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 your customers are minorities, you know, heavily. And, you know, the staff that are working here as well, everyone is in a, a, a docile state because they want to continue to keep their jobs, but they're still impacted because it's everywhere. You can't avoid this thing. And what the leadership did, the CEO at the time, you know, he started taking in dialogue from everyone in the organization about kicking off this committee. And for me, that was monumental because he realized that he didn't have the answer. You know, he was a Caucasian man, you know, but in this position for about 15 years, but he st still knew that this was a present issue and it needed to be addressed presently and publicly in terms of the inquiries putting together different subsets of teams that would lend to the conversation, which ultimately birthed this committee, which ultimately diversified the committee, right? To make it an organizational committee. And I think, um, you know, that was something that, again, was trailblazing, but it was something that I feel will keep that organization conscious because it's a revolving cycle of the conversation won't die. 
you know, regardless if it's something internal with the organization or something current event, we're not going to be numb or naive to dismissing it. And this is a collective effort to include people being, we talk about that word inclusivity all the time. That's what it looks like to include, you know, everyone's at the table, regardless of your role, because again, we all are contributing to the great outcome of this organization. Tell us a little bit more about setting up those DEI committees. I mean, who all is involved? How do you set the vision? Because I know, you know, I'm in state government currently and everybody's got a DEI committee, but I'm not always sure about how it got started. Yeah, usually it starts from, you know, I say if you have woke companies, right? <laughs> if you have woke companies, they're not just interested in what's happening internally, they're understanding temperamentally that things on the outside of the organization still impact some of your majority minority employees. So they're not gonna mull over the notion that, I go back to the Floyd, uh, George Floyd incident, they're not gonna mull over that this wide global incident occurred and it's not impacting their black staff, right? And or their white staff, you know, because people feel. So it's not a color thing, but you know, most company goes to the race thing first as the detention spot. And that's usually typically not it. It's more so a humanity spot. Um, so when you're standing up a committee, it's, it's essentially going to, I always say, if you're a CEO or your president or your uh, vice president, whoever's in charge is not having the conversations, particularly when there's something blatant going on culturally and or if there's a direct incident within the organization that is not being addressed with the same intensity of, as losing a dollar, then there needs to be some, needs to be some reevaluation there. You know, I always go to the leader of the organization with an expectation. You know, when I talk about ROI, going back to that, ROI is solely based on your workforce. If you don't have a, a burgeoning workforce that is happy and, and, and healthy and complete, you don't have a product or an outcome. We haven't gotten just yet to the internet age or the technology age where we're all computer-based and robots are working for us, right? So you still have to rely on people and humanity is still a factor that should be a part of the conversation. So leadership is the number one for me. You know, If they're not open to that dialogue or if it's not a priority or important, there are some problems there. Because what the leader does, even those who are supporting that leader, it should be an alignment of the expectation across that leadership to really make this thing a priority, even if they don't know how. So going back to your question, how do you set that up? You start talking about it. You start talking about it. You know, every company, big or mid-sized that I've been fortunate enough to work with do stand-up meetings, either monthly, leadership calls, even bi-monthly or, or, or quarterly, you know? So there is a coming together that's happening. Some doing daily, you know? So you have ample opportunity to, infuse this, this, this importance into the dialogue. But I always measure it on, if it's not a significant enough to make time for it, then the problem is much bigger than even the impact of it. And so I, I think this segues perfectly into the next question. How do we align organizational goals and DEI goals? And for whatever reason, why do we tend to keep them separate? It's uncomfortable, man. You know, I'm not going to act like the elephant is not in any of these rooms organizationally, right? It's like, who are you to talk about X, Y, Z or to feel like you are appropriate to talk about X, Y, Z? So I think companies usually get into the weeds, 
with the back and forth. You know, with this set committee that I was working with, you you might have let's say a leader that's gun ho about it. Um, if that for whatever reason if that leadership changes and there's a need for a new leader at the helm, that next individual might not be as passionate about it. So it can get lost into the weeds. So there's a sense of consistency that has to be in this as well for the long haul. This goes into actually, you're talking about now changing the cultural identity of the organization. So if this hasn't been a big priority before, it's not as easy to shift an organization that has been operating a certain way and still having successes. So the alignment that happens has to be as built out as one's organizational chart, I like to say, you know, because funny enough, the humor to this is that it's already been a part of the work and the operation, just not talked about. We know for a thousand reasons, we can go back and history will speak for itself as to why, but nowadays it can be because people are bringing themselves to the table as viable you know, options for employment and bringing their skills and their A game and they are not of one color. They are not of one hue, they're not of one orientation. And, and that organization has to make the decision to, again, go back to that bottom line or not, not take advantage of that, that talent. So when these individuals get into the organization, the alignment has to happen just like you would be doing your onboarding or your organizational strategy or your chart. Like, it's not hard though, you know, it's not hard to evolve or shift. And I think we have to kind of really make that point. Like we're not doing an overnight change because that's not going to happen. You know, uh, that particular committee that I'm working with, they're still working at this almost a year later of just starting to get into some of the weeds of the work because it's been about influencing leaders and then the organization to take it as serious and then empowering staff across maybe the different uh, spaces in the organization and then trying to figure out what would the work look like that is continual and consistent instead of just being a shot in the arm that we can go back to business as usual about and not really be committed to this effort. So you almost need definitely not just a committee, you need a stand up operation. And I think that is the one key I wanted to make in terms of a point here don't just create the committee and fill it with people that are, are varied hues and orientations just to check the box. We've seen that in terms of hiring practices for, for hundreds of years where we had the quota for men, the quota for women, the quota for white, the quota for black, and we're still where we are today with unsatisfactory outcomes in terms of this diversity piece. So I said, get intentional about your why even with this approach and make sure that you set up the right constructs infrastructure to ensure that it lives almost just like your mission statement, almost just like your purpose and your goals and your whys and your outcomes, your culture, your model, what have you, your DEIC needs to be a committed entity that lives and, and individuals who are matriculating to the organization can fill those gaps as needed throughout time. And once you set that up for the ongoing, hopefully, the goal is you won't have these issues within your organization and you become a platform to teach and model that for other organizations as well. So as we were getting ready to wrap up, I've got two, two more questions. And this one I think is probably the most key because this is where I tend to see organizations fall off. How do we make, how do we make these strategies sustainable or better yet, how do we institutionalize them so that they live on beyond whatever administration or whoever's leading or at the helm? You gotta go hard, man. You gotta build it out. 
like anything else you're trying to implement into the organization, whether it's a policy, a team, what have you, you got to build it out from scratch. You have to create literally bylaws for processes, um, building out kind of like those purpose statements and the why statements around what in this organization uh, needs this essence the most so that you understand the nature of what's going to drive your work. You have to open the gates for people to be committed. Even if you're experimenting with trying it out and you don't have any constructs just yet, the conversation piece that I mentioned earlier, you want to keep doing that because again, that will be birth, that will birth from that. But you got to go back to the books with it almost like not just saying we got a committee and we feel great about having the conversations, which is important, but I can't be the NLB all. You have to get it detailed with you know these meetings, taking notes, taking minutes, you know, getting people to sign up and commit it to those things, make a big deal about it in your organization, you know, actually add that content to your website, show who those committee members are so that you can practice what you preach visually on the site. Um, conversations around temperaments that may be going on internally or externally within the organization, always refer back to our, our DEIC uh, operation. Like I said, I would just segue stopping at committees. I would create a DEIC division because you almost need, I mean, it's just as important. When I talk about organizational equity, equity is equity and organizations have that equity piece, but it can easily be lost or it can easily become deficient because no one is placing emphasis on the why or the need of it. It's more so the reaction to things that happen and you're usually already behind the curve. So if you're gonna do DEIC, be intentional, you know, mean it as I like to say, you know, put the resources towards it, fatten the load for it, oversaturated almost so that way it could become a part of your fabric organizationally. And what tips do you have for organizations in holding themselves accountable? Be real. <laughs> <laughs> um, transparency wins, man. Um, now there's no time like the present. Like we've been given a platform to take off the masks, take off the cloaks, not hide behind any bars of inconsistencies that we've established to serve purposes that really has not taken us anywhere past hello. Be transparent and authentic in your efforts, in your intent, and your outcomes. Because usually people who just want to feel appreciated, usually that's it. It's just appreciated, not honored, not praised, or not loved on every day, but just appreciated. And when you talk about cultural context, uh, cultural context and fit, you know, mean it. Like, I want to see the day where I go read an organization's website, I can sit down with anyone in the organization and I can feel that in dialogue in our exchange. You know, we're not far from there, but we're, we're in most cases, we're not there yet. So take this opportunity to really peel back your own layers of your onion to recalibrate because the nutrients live at the core. You know, so if your organization that's struggling in this capacity, you have what you need internally. You just have to start becoming aware of where those pockets of strength lies and really start going after those aggressively so that you can stand up an operation that not necessarily looks like anyone else's, but it fits what you need. Because if you get what you need as an organization from that organizational equity piece, you can produce way more than you, you, you set out to do. And people who are a part of your process and believe you 
will do it with you graciously, you know, and there won't be such tension in a fight around the uncomfortability that we're still experiencing when we have these conversations that still aren't happening blatantly, you know, at a scaled approach that we all would love to see it happen at. So Dr. Pryor, we're getting ready to wrap up. And I want to ask, because of course, you know, this, this is business. How do people keep up with you, um, your work, if they, they need a little guidance when it comes to DEI and their organization? What's the best way for people to keep in touch? Um, I'm on social media platforms. Um, you can find me uh, on Facebook and Instagram at um, my company is called Hip Enterprise LLC. That's at HIP Enterprise LLC. Uh, that's Facebook and Instagram, or you can uh, send an inquiry to me directly at my website at www.prioritycoaching.com. That's priority is P-R-Y-O-R-I-T-Y coaching.com. And usually you send me an inquiry, I can get back to you. Um, and we can get the dialogue. We can continue the dialogue actually, and, and make sure that you're setting yourself up, or if you're a leader in an organization, your organization up for success the right way, because there is a right way. We just have to be fearless enough to approach it. And it, it takes individuals who are, are looking at operations with a different lens, usually sometimes with an outside lens to help you see where the missed opportunities are. So don't be shy. <laughs> Definitely reach out if you have questions um, or send me inquiries. I do respond and I look forward to keeping the conversation going. I much appreciate it. Thank you for your time and also for your work. I think in many cases, our leaders feel like they have to do it alone, right? And because right. they're at the they're at the hot seat when it comes to guiding an organization. But I really appreciate when I do have a chance to talk to consultants who are just like, no, it's okay. You, you might've been doing this wrong, but it's okay. We're gonna get it right going forward. So definitely appreciate you and your work. Well, James, thank you again, just for this opportunity and platform. You reminded me how much this is not talked about at this scale. And so I, I appreciate your, your boldness and bringing this conversation to light, particularly at this pivotal moment right now, I think in history where there's a time to get it right. And as an organization or a leader, you don't have to be afraid. You just have to be willing to take the first step and start the, di the dialogue or the narrative around getting to your betterment, whatever that means for you. So Amen. Thank you. Amen. <laughs> uh, no problem, no problem. Big, big thanks to Dr. Pryor for joining us on the pod. What stands out to me in many cases is this really relentless pursuit of diversity, equity, inclusion, not just at the organizational level, but also personally. I think what stands out or a characteristic of a leader who is committed to this work is really courage and also the willingness to tell the truth, even when the truth is not popular. There's There are good people out there who, who are like that. I've worked with organizations, um, one right now that we're working through anti-racism and behavioral health. And when you blend those things together, um, there's a lot to consider. So I've, I've seen it firsthand, but just realizing that it's not easy work and people need to accept that up front. A few very quick church announcements. We have our first meeting on the books we, meaning the Brothers in Social Work Collective, we are working with Wayne State University on a recruitment and retention effort for black and brown young men. 
we are meeting, I think that's October 22nd. That will be our first kickoff with the You Good Bro session. Really just checking in, talking to the, to the folks about what it means to navigate academia as a black man. Trust me, I, I remember very well. And I feel like it got harder the higher I went. Um, starting off as a pre-med student who didn't see anybody else who looked like me. So going to organic chemistry was a, a very difficult experience all the way to social work, which is a white woman dominated field. And people tell you your approaches aren't exactly the best. And then even wrapping up with my doctorate, um, it, it's, it's interesting how that becomes a thread and a through line, but realizing that there are supports out there there are academic advisors out there who want to make sure that people feel safe in the classroom, but also know that they have to go on to contribute to a workforce that may not necessarily be representative. You, you just gotta gotta work through that. So excited to be partnering with Wyoming State. We got two other schools lined up. More to come on that. If your school is interested, wants to know more about how to work with the Brothers and Social Work Collective, shoot me a line because. We are open for 2023. We are accepting all new clients. So, Colorado's. Um, I think for me personally, there are a few things that I still want to accomplish this year. Um, there's about five episodes left of the podcast. Can't believe I'm actually saying that out loud, but we're gonna we're gonna push through the rest of the year. And it's still unclear what the future looks like. I'm working on a blog post right now for uh, a partner of mine around parks and recreation and racism. It's pretty pretty interesting. Um, I wrote a report earlier in the year, and they came back and said, "Hey, would you like to contribute some more? We we love your writing." I was like, yeah, "Sure." So I'm I'm trying to get that done, and there's also uh, a, a project that I'm taking on with who used to be the soon-to-be Dr. Autumn Blackdeer, who is actually the Dr. Blackdeer now. Um, we've been talking about for quite some time this relationship between white supremacy and horror films, and you'll recall from, from last year, the episode of Patrick Harris. But we, we're taking this a step further and really trying to document it. Um, so... Once I can like clear my plate, I'm excited to, to take on some of these like energy providing projects. There's also, just on a personal note, um, again, thank you for all the folks who extended, um, or those folks who reached out to me after the passing of my grandmother. When people say that it comes in waves, I didn't really know what that meant. I understand what it means now. Uh, the moments where you're just kind of like chilling and there's nothing going on and then you have a memory and you might chuckle to yourself and then you might drop a, a single tear like Denzel Washington and Glory, it, it happens um, but it's something I'm navigating, it's the first time I've lost someone as an adult and so I'm trying to understand and lean into that, my, my therapist has been great, I definitely recommend getting one if you don't have one and if you have access to one, it is privilege worth having. The last thing I want to say, uh, make sure you follow us on the socials, duh, at Equity Matters Podcast on Instagram, at Equity Matters PC on Twitter, 
send us an email, send us a DM, just let us know you're listening. Um, we've been posting in more places, which is ironic because we're getting ready to shut down, but we want more people to hear. So do us a favor, share the episode, let people listen if you think that this episode was valuable. And if it wasn't valuable, let us know. Yeah. All right. So until next time, folks, you know where to find us. You know what we're doing. Equity matters.